the Science Community Radio Talk Show. And welcome, Dr. Gary Chapman is our special guest. He's the number one New York Times bestselling author of The Five Love Languages. He's got a great new book out. It's called Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion. And I guess the question that we should all ask ourselves, it's in the back of the book, are you handling your anger or is your anger handling you? So welcome to the program, Dr. Chapman. Well, thank you, Michael. Great to be with you. Dr. Chapman, we know that you're very affiliated with love, hence the five love languages, but anger, it seems like it's the antithesis of love. Is that correct? You know, I think it can be. It depends on how we handle anger. If we handle it in a negative way, yes, it is the antithesis of love. If we handle it in a positive way, it can be an expression of love. I've sometimes called it the other side of love. Yes. Dr. Chapman, we know that you're a Christian psychologist and, of course, a pastor. I'm not sure a lot of people know that in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. But either way, you're dealing with a lot of anger issues from people. You ever get tired and just kind of say to yourself, I'm tired uh, from hearing people talk about anger? (laughs) Well, I guess I could say that, but I remember my own life, Michael. And uh, I never had much of a problem with anger until I got married. And I didn't have a super problem with anger until I had a teenage son. So I've been there, and so working through all of that with my wife and my son, uh, I have a lot of empathy for people who are experiencing anger. It seems that we get angry just about every single day, and myself included, it doesn't seem like we have a real insight into that one particular emotion. So do you find that as a Christian counselor, that people don't have insight into the problems, and most certainly that emotion of anger? Yes, I think many people do not understand anger, and they've given very little reflection to anger. Like, where does anger come from? You know, I believe that anger comes because we're made in the image of God. Now, some people are shocked by that. But the Bible says God is angry every day with the wicked. So why does God get angry? I think because God is love and God is holy. And God has given us principles to live by. And when people violate those principles, God gets angry because he knows it's going to hurt them and hurt everyone around them. So if God experiences anger, you know, we're made in God's image. Why do we experience anger? Because we have a concern for right. And this is true whether you're a Christian or not. All of us have a concern for right. And when our sense of right is violated, we feel angry. And many people have never stopped to ask the question, where does anger come from? In fact, some people think anger comes from the devil. Mm. And there are a lot of people who are just looking for a sense of right. And at least that's what you say in your book. What about the person who just says, you know what, it's not worth it to get angry. Don't you admire people like that? I wish we could all be like that. Yeah, well, I think that would be ideal. Uh, but the reality is, I think the, the emotion of anger, uh, I believe, is designed to motivate us to take constructive action. And that constructive action typically is to lovingly confront the person at whom you're angry. Uh, Of course, there's another dynamic here. There's two kinds of anger as humans. Uh, We get angry when we encounter wrong, you know, someone wrongs us. But we also get angry when we simply get irritated. That is, people don't do what we think they should do. It's not that they sinned against us. They just didn't do it the way we wanted it done. And a lot of our anger falls into this category. And this is the kind of anger that if we don't recognize, you know, I call it distorted anger. Uh, Because I believe Satan has taken every gift of God and he's distorted it. That's true with our sexuality and it's certainly true with anger. He's distorted it. And so 
we have this sense that they're doing wrong, when in reality, it's just a matter of they're not pleasing us. It's not that they're doing wrong. It's just they're not doing it the way we want it done. So you have to distinguish between those two. And if you do, then there's the potential of handling those both of those kinds of anger in a positive way rather than a negative way. Dr. Chairman, you're bringing up some good examples here, but let's be honest, there's no fighting in the church though, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, don't you think there's an area that we could work on? Because it seems like we have doctrine down pretty well, but uh, learning about interpersonal relationships, should we learn more about that and certainly how to handle anger? I think this is a huge need in the church, Michael. You know, here's the lady who says, why did you move the piano? <laughs> I don't like those black curtains. I mean... <laughs> And I say, all of that's distorted anger. None of that's a sin. It doesn't matter where the piano is. It doesn't, you know, it's not a sin to move the piano or put the drum somewhere or put up a black curtain behind. It's just, it's not what we want. It's not what we like. And I think in the church, we need to teach people how to handle those emotions. It's okay to feel things. You're going to feel things when they're not going your way, but Rather than feeling like you're right and everybody else is wrong, maybe we ought to step back and say, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe that will work. Maybe that would be better, rather than just condemning everything that we don't like. It seems like we either are on the offense or on the defense when it comes to the emotion of anger, but just never really learning how to work things out. So, you know, I think a good idea would be, Dr. Chapman, if you write some books for the seminaries, because not only pastors, but people who are going into the pastorate are very unprepared to deal with that emotion of anger. And when it happens in the church, they don't know how to deal with it, and they're no longer in ministry. As, as a matter of fact, Michael, sometimes pastors get angry with the people who are angry. You know, they lash out the person that's angry, and they give them a little speech about, you ought not to feel this way. You know, if you're going to help people with angry, if someone's coming to you and they're angry, and they haven't read my book, you know, so they don't know how to handle anger, the first thing you need to do is listen to the person. Because in their mind, what you've done or what someone else has done is wrong in their mind. That's why they're angry. So you need to listen to them. And ask questions. You know, I say, you listen, and then you listen, and then you listen. At least three times you listen and say, it sounds to me like you're saying you're angry because da-da-da-da-da. And they say, well, that's part of it. And then they give you another part of it. And once you've listened to them a little while, you can honestly say to them, you know, I think I hear what you're saying. And if I were in your shoes, I'd probably feel angry, too. And you would. If you had their personality and you interpreted the situation the way they did, you probably would feel angry. And so you say that to them, and now you're no longer an enemy. Now you understand, and that's what they wanted to be understood. And then you can say, now, let me tell you why we did this, or let me tell you what was our reasoning behind this. And because you heard them and gave them the freedom to think and feel the way they do, they're more likely to hear you now. And you may still not agree, uh, but at least they've been heard and they walk away feeling like that you had empathy for them. I think if pastors could learn that simple pattern of responding to angry people, they'd save themselves a lot of problems at the church. Amen. I completely agree with that. You know, here's something that's interesting. As kids, we learn all the time 
put yourself in the other person's shoes and you will understand them. I mean, it makes sense. And a lot of times we lose that in adulthood. Why don't we get that? Just putting yourself in the other person's shoes, understanding that we're all different. And maybe if we just had a better understanding of people, we wouldn't have so many complications. Why don't we get that? Well, Michael, I think a lot of times we are like other people, and that is we are also self-centered. And we see the world through our eyes, and we think that our ideas are right. And, you know, if we can get the Bible behind us, then we've got, you know, we really preach to them. You know, what the Bible says, <laughs> we bring God in our side. And uh, I think I think even in the family, like with, with teenagers, you've got a teenage son, which I mentioned earlier, and, and he's not doing or saying or operating the way you think he should. I remember when my son said to me one day when he was a teenager, he said, Dad, I'm going to do what you say, but I just want you to listen to me. Wow, it was powerful for me, you know. And our teenagers want to want to feel that we care enough about them to listen to their ideas, to listen to their perspective, and not just automatically say, "Well, that's wrong," you know. Da 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 da. da. If we give them the courtesy of listening to them, then they're far more likely to do what it is we want them to do. Uh, even though they may disagree with us, they, they're likely to recognize our, our parental role and respect that. Dr. Chapman, forgive me for doing some counseling here, but have you forgiven your son? <laughs> <laughs> you know, my son and I have a great relationship, and uh, uh, we, we kind of learned this whole thing together. I remember uh, one experience one night when uh, we were into it with each other, and I was giving it to him, and he was giving it to me, and he walked out of the room and slammed the door and walked outside. He was about 15, and I, uh, when the door slammed, I woke up, and I said, Oh, God, I thought I was further along than this. Why am I screaming at my kid? And I just sat down on the couch and started crying, and my wife came in and tried to console me, and she said, Gary, it wasn't your fault. I heard him. He started that. He shouldn't talk to you that way. He should respect you more. She tried to console me, but you know, Michael, it's hard to console a sinner. And so she finally gave up and left the room, and I just got on my knees and poured my heart out to God. I said, God, please forgive me for yelling and screaming at my son and saying those nasty things to him. And I just poured my heart out to God and accepted his forgiveness. And a little later, I don't know how long, my son came back in the house. And I said, Derek, could you come in here a minute, son? He came in, and I apologized to him. I said, I I am so sorry. I said, I do not feel the way I said to you. I was, I lost my temper, and I said some mean things. And I love you very much, and I'm just so sorry. I poured my heart out to him. And when I got through, he said, Dad, that was not your fault. He said, I started that. And he said, I was walking up the road, and I asked God to forgive me, and I want to ask you to forgive me. And we hugged each other and cried. And that was a day in which our relationship really turned around, when I was willing to apologize to him, and he was willing to apologize to me. And I think, you know, from that juncture on, we I said to him, why don't we, when you get angry with me, you just say, Dad, I'm angry. Can we talk? And if I do, I'll say the same thing to you. Uh, Derek, I'm angry. Can we talk? And let's learn how to talk instead of yelling at each other. And it was a real turning point for us. So I think really, Michael, maybe the short version of that is that some parents need to apologize to their teenagers for the way they yell and scream at them. You know, I remember a teenage son in my office who said, my dad yells and screams at me, telling me to stop yelling and screaming at him. 
So I, I think apologizing to our kids can be a real turning point. That's very heartfelt what you mentioned, and I know a lot of people listening will be able to relate and hopefully mend some of their relationships with their children and some of the anger that enters in. Dr. Chapman, one thing I did notice in your book was that the gospel is so related to anger, or I should say the anger is related to the gospel. We have enmity toward God, then there's repentance, and then reconciliation. And so I never really thought about that, how the gospel and anger are related, where you can use anger to get back to God. How does that work? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. You know, all of us uh, fail. None of us are perfect. And because we're imperfect, we have to acknowledge our failure and deal with it. And that's what the, that's what the cross is all about. You know, when Christ died, he paid our penalty so God could forgive us and still be a righteous and just God because the penalty was paid for, by Christ. And so when we confess our sin to God, the Bible's very clear. God forgives us. On the human level, the same principle is true. When we do wrong, we're to confess, we're to apologize to whomever we've wronged. And most of the time, people will forgive you if you apologize. And if they don't, that's, you know, that's their problem. I mean, you, all you can do is request forgiveness. And maybe they choose to forgive you, maybe they don't. God always forgives you. But I think we can't have good relationships until we apologize for our failures. Dr. Chapman, let's have some fun here. Let's look at some of the biblical characters in the Holy Bible, and which ones had the most difficulty with anger? Which uh, disciple would you say, and or was it Moses? And, and it seemed like some characters in the Scriptures had more challenges than others when it came to anger. Well, you know, the Bible gives examples of people who had what I call uh, definitive anger, and then those that had distorted anger. For example, Cain, probably the first one in the, in the Old Testament, who had what I call distorted anger. He got angry with God, you know, because God accepted the sacrifice of his brother who brought a lamb. He didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. He brought produce from the field. And Cain said, this is not right. And he got angry with God. And it was distorted anger because God said to him, look, if you had done what I told you to do, would I not have accepted your sacrifice? But see, Cain felt like, you know, my way is better than God's way. I can bring produce. I don't have to bring a lamb. And so, you know, God said, you know, if sin is couching at the door, it wants to destroy you. And always distorted anger will destroy you if you don't, if you don't deal with it. Uh, but if you look at most people in the Bible, you will see that, uh, that they experienced anger along the way. And, uh, some of them processed it in a good way. You know, even Job, we think about Job as being patient, and he was, but he also was angry. He, he didn't understand this, and there were places where he just kind of laid it out to God. And, and you know, we sometimes, uh, Michael, get angry with God because we feel he didn't treat us right. You know, I prayed for this and this, and it didn't happen. And uh, I, I say to people, if you feel angry toward God, just tell God. Just pour it out to him, and then listen to the still, small voice of God, and he will say to you, my son, my daughter, I understand. My ways are higher than your ways, and I know you don't get this, but you're going to have to trust me here. I'm going to work good out of this. So, you know, uh, you're not going to make God, you're not going to hurt God if you tell him you're angry, uh, but you can process the anger by talking to God, just like we process our anger toward people by talking to them about it and sharing it with them so we get a better understanding of the situation. 
Dr. Chapman, who taught you how to be so evenly tempered there? Because it seems like you never get out of kilter and you always have uh, the answers. I feel just a little bit abnormal because uh, I get a little emotional, but you seem just so level-headed. Were you always like that? <laughs> well, you know, Michael, when you lived as long as I lived and you <laughs> you worked through as many things on the personal level as I have, and you sat in the, in the counseling chair and heard other people and all their problems, and you get to know God a little better through the years and realize, you know, the things that look so bad, God typically, he's got a purpose in all that, and he works it out. And, and I do think this. I think people do have different personalities, and some people are a little more fiery on the edge than others are, you know. Uh, but all of us have to learn how to take our personality and then turn it and use the positive points of the personality and then work on and cooperate with God on strengthening the areas where we might be a little weak in our response to people. Yes, and I imagine being a counselor, you have to have a sense of humor because people are so very different. And you think God has a sense of humor when it comes to all the different personalities? I mean, sometimes we're just a little weird. What do you think God thinks of that? You know, I, I think God must have a sense of humor. Uh, when you look at even you look at creation, you know, and, and all the little intricate creatures that He made, uh, and I, I just I just think God must smile sometimes, you know, uh, at uh, mosquitoes, for example, <laughs> when when they bite us and we scratch, you know, <laughs> what's the purpose of mosquitoes? You know, there, there's got to be a purpose, you know, <laughs> but. Uh, I think I think the emotions that we have as humans, uh, again, we have them because God is also an emotional God. You know, He has emotions. He feels love. He feels compassion. He feels hatred. You know, for sin. He feels anger when people do wrong. So we're emotional creatures because God is an emotional God, and and when we reflect Him, we're fallen creatures, and so our emotions get distorted and all of that. But we're still made in his image, and therefore, I think we, we have emotions. And, and we, we need to use our emotions in a positive way. Uh, you know, I don't think we follow our emotions, uh, because if you follow your emotions, you will likely, like when you're angry, you'll likely do something to make things worse. Uh, but we admit our emotions, and then we ask God to give us wisdom on how to control our emotions, so that controlled anger which means that we don't lash out or don't push or shove or hit somebody, but we approach them in a loving and kind way to say, you know, I'm feeling angry, and maybe I misunderstood what you said or what you did, but but let me share it with you because I value our relationship, and, and I want to make sure there's nothing between us. And you take that kind of approach, then anger serves a good purpose. It restores relationships. Dr. Chapman, is anger like the driving force for most psychological disorders? It seems that it's an, almost an offshoot of every psychological disorder. And would you say that's true? And how does it show up from childhood into adulthood? Well, I would say that anger is the root of a lot of uh, social and, and, uh, and, social and uh, emotional problems. For example, if a child grew up in a home where they were mistreated and they, were, they, were, they did not feel loved by the parents, there's something inside a child that says, parents should love me, parents should be taking care of me. And when that doesn't happen, that anger is inside that child, and the child grows up with an angry spirit. You know, I've been wronged. And, if they, and then they get mistreated by some people outside the home, and eventually it's like the whole world is against me. 
And so they're angry with the whole world. And, and I think this is the root of a lot of the explosions that we see in people. Uh, when they've held anger inside for so long, then they eventually explode and do something you know just terrible, uh, hurting other people. It's like they're fighting back. They're hurting the people who hurt them. But usually it's not the people who hurt them. It's other people that they lash out at who happens to be in their path at the moment. So, yeah, I do think that a lot of our problems grow out of uh, anger that is not processed. You know, the scriptures say, being angry, sin not. And then it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. We're supposed to process anger quickly. Anger is meant to be a visitor, not a resident. And when you keep it inside over a long period of time, it will show up in your behavior. So if we can teach people how to handle anger on a regular basis and don't let it build up inside, we're doing them a great service. Yes, and you mentioned in your book that if you don't learn how to deal with anger as a child, it's not something you're going to outgrow in adulthood. You'll bring that into adulthood. And speaking of which, when people bring anger into a marriage, how does that work out? Where all of a sudden we're dealing with warfare, and what can people do about it? The reality is two selfish people will never have a good marriage. If we're both looking out for our interest and we're approaching marriage with the idea of, you know, you need to do this for me, you should be doing this for me, you should be doing that for me. Two people who approach marriage that way will never have a good marriage. But two people who learn to approach life the way Jesus did, who said, I did not come to be served, I came to serve and to give my life. We approach life that way, and the husband has the attitude, I'm here, honey, to serve you. What can I do for you? How can I make your life easier? How can I be a better husband? And she approaches him that way. Then they're going to have a good marriage. Two people who are reaching out to love and serve and help each other will have will discover what God intended marriage to be, a loving, supportive, caring relationship in which we're both encouraging the other to become everything that God intended them to be. And, you know, I say to people sometimes, God did not ordain marriage to make us miserable. He ordained marriage because he knows that two are better than one, and he made us for each other, male and female. And when we learn to do marriage God's way and reach out to serve each other, then not only do we find satisfaction in the relationship, but now the two of us can turn and bless the world with the abilities God has given us, and we have the support of each other in doing that. It's a beautiful picture when you do marriage God's way. Dr. Chapman, many times you're called upon to come up with the answers, and you certainly have them, but you didn't just come out of the crib or out of the womb (laughs) with all the information. You had to start somewhere. How did you get involved with counseling to begin with? What's your interest in that? Uh, How did it lead to where you are today? You know, I think it was uh, on the human plane. I think it was the trouble that my wife and I had in our marriage in the early years. Uh, We were both Christians before we got married. We prayed about it. We believed it was God's will. But six months into our marriage, I was more miserable than I'd been my whole life. And so was she. Uh, We came down off the high of the in-love experience, and our differences emerged. We didn't know how to handle them, so we ended up arguing with each other, saying hurtful things to each other. And it it just kind of went downhill from there. And I remember the days when I thought I've married the wrong person. You know, I remember even saying to God, you know, I prayed, I asked you not to let me marry her if she's not the right one, and you let me do it. You know, I was I was angry with God. And 
And so it just went downhill, and, and I was in seminary. I mean, two weeks after we got married, I was in seminary studying to be a pastor. And I'm saying to myself and later to God, this is not going to work. There's no way I can be this miserable at home and get up and preach hope to people, you know? And I finally just said to God, I don't know what else to do. I've done everything I know to do, and it's not getting any better. And I heard God say to me, the problem in your marriage is you you do not have the attitude of Christ. And there came to my mind a picture of Jesus on his knees washing the feet of his disciples. And I remember what he said when he stood up. I am your leader, and in my kingdom, this is the way you lead. The leader serves. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, because I knew that was not my attitude. My attitude toward my wife was, I know how to have a good marriage. If you listen to me, we'll have one. (laughs) She wouldn't listen to me. But that day, I got a different message. The problem is, you don't have the attitude of Christ towards your wife. And I just said, Lord, forgive me. With all of my study in Greek and Hebrew and theology, I have missed the whole point. And then I said, please give me the attitude of Christ toward my wife. In retrospect, it's the greatest prayer I ever prayed regarding my marriage. Because God changed my heart. And he gave me the attitude of saying to her, honey, how can I help you? How can I make your life easier? How can I be a better husband to you? And within three months, my wife started asking me those three three questions. And our whole marriage turned around. So I think because I went through all that pain, I think God prepared me to identify with the pain of the people who sit in my office and say, we just don't have any hope. We just don't see how it's going to work. We just feel like we married the wrong person. So I'm very empathetic with that. And I never, you know, I never thought I would get into counseling when I was in seminary. Uh, But when I got into church, I found this is where people were hurting in marriage and family relationships. And so I started teaching classes and then I started doing counseling. And I think I think it grew out of my own experience, you know, but I believe that God is sovereign and God knows how he's equipped us, each of us and what we should be doing with our lives. It's just that I didn't dream that I would get into this. It's just that Little by little, he led into it. But I don't have any question, you know, that this is what God intended me to be doing with my life. And it's been so encouraging to see the way God has used not only the counseling, but used the books to help people. In fact, almost every week when I do a marriage conference, I'll have four or five people come up and say, Gary, we were next door to divorce, and somebody gave us the five love languages. And the lights came on. And it just changed everything when we started speaking the right love language. So, you know, it's just been so encouraging to see the way God has used uh, books as well as conferences to help people and get them turned in the right direction. Because, you know, Michael, when you get a couple pulling together and loving and supporting each other, man, the influence of that couple is tremendous on their children, in their churches, in their communities. And so... I just think that that this whole area of marriage and family is so close to the heart of God. And probably this is why Satan so opposes marriage and tries to pull down and break marriages up, because he knows that if he does, it will will keep these people from doing so much good uh, in the world with, with their lives. 
Thank you for sharing that. I wasn't even sure how you got into counseling to begin with, but what a great story and the way the Lord had changed your heart and given you a love and appreciation for other people and providing a love language, too, to mend broken hearts and bring them back to restoration. And uh, Dr. Chapman, didn't it feel good to get that all off your chest? I mean, you can call me anytime if you ever want to just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michael. It's good to be with you today. You keep up the good work. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the program. Dr. Gary Chapman has been our special guest. Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion is the name of his book, and you could actually buy it if you go to his website at www.5lovelanguages.com. He also has a program called Building Relationships at Moody Bible Radio. Have a good evening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.